Our next guest became the first legally blind D1 athlete to play in a game when he played football at Tulane University. He was named team captain and went on to become an NFL free agent. Now he helps organizations and teams create leadership strategies that overcome adversity through speeches, workshops, and strategic partnerships. I am honored to have this chance to speak with someone who's learned many of the concepts we talk about often on this podcast, like building a vision and carving out a happy, fulfilled life, all without the use of his eyesight. I want to welcome you back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, where we cover the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning for schools and emotional intelligence training in the workplace with tools, ideas, and strategies that we can all use for immediate results with our brain in mind. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, specifically on the topics of health, well-being, and productivity, and launched this podcast to share how important an understanding of our brain is for everyday life and results. Our next guest, Aaron Golub, started his journey as a speaker in high school. Aaron was asked to go on Good Morning America when he committed to play football at Tulane University, and he knew immediately he had a message that would impact millions. This experience threw him into the deep end at 17 years old. Since then, he's traveled the world sharing his message. Aaron leaves organizations and teams with both strategies to create true change, but also with impactful insights that will allow them to rethink their past beliefs. Aaron works in speaking, workshop, and consulting. Whether you want Aaron to come into your organization for a keynote, for breakout sessions, or day-long workshops, or even longer-term consulting, he's got a structure for it all. His biggest accomplishment and what he's most proud of is when he was named team captain of the Tulane football team, and he went on to become an NFL free agent. Successful organizations and companies like Pinterest and Evolution Mining and Playfly Sports have all invested in him to come in to consult. He's appeared on Good Morning America, as well as been on CBS, NBC, Sports Illustrated, New York Times, Entrepreneur, NPR, and many others. When I first came across Aaron's work, I think it was by accident because I might have been on an email list for the work that he does. It didn't take me a minute to read what he's accomplished in his life to write back to him that I was hoping he'd come on our podcast. Then I listened to his TEDx. It's called Finding Diamonds with Your Disadvantages. And I saw this young man was living many of the practices and principles that we write about on this podcast. He even quoted the quote that I opened up the last episode that we produced, something about the fact that we must be willing to do things that others aren't willing to do. So we set up a call to speak so I could learn more about him and see if he'd be open to sharing his story for those who tune into the show to see how he's been able to overcome adversity, how he did it, and what we could all learn from his life story. I also want you to know that if you find Aaron's message as unique and powerful as I have, that I'll include his website so you can reach out to him and see if Aaron could work directly with your team or organization. 
He's nothing short of amazing, inspirational, motivational, creative, and innovative. Let's meet Aaron Golub and see what we can learn about overcoming adversity in our daily life. So Aaron, welcome and thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing your unique life story with us. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to you know chat and, and share my message with your listeners and, and get to know each other better. Well, th- this is exciting. I've got to tell you that I've only ever had one person that asked me not to send them the questions that I was going to ask. So, so you're you're kind of doing this, and and I had a chance to write some questions and then really think about them, which was kind of nice. You know, I didn't send them off, and then I wasn't tied into them. I I thought about them all this morning. So. I've got some good questions for you. Are you ready to do this? Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, so so to start off with, I believe that there's no such thing as accidents in life, right? Like when somebody comes across your email that, you know, that that just really catches my eye like you did. I don't believe that's an accident. So, you know, can you just kind of outline what you think on that like how do you think how do you think we met and how do you think i'm responding to your message does this happen to you all the time because uh, i i think this is pretty special yeah no and and to answer that i think i'll go a little deeper where things in life happen for a reason they happen for you not to you and so you know this isn't directly answering your question but i'll get to that in a second of like I'm a strong believer that I'm thankful and grateful that I was born legally blind. And if I could go back to birth and change it, I wouldn't do it. And, and being legally blind happened for me and not to me. And it happened for a reason for me to help and impact others. And there's been occasions where, and I'm sure we'll get into this as well, but I have very uh, uh, advanced systems built out for my outreach. And, you know, sometimes things, you know, uh, <laughs> go to people that, you know, are not what it was necessarily intended but it brings in, it goes there for a purpose. And so, yeah, so there's actually some, uh, I live here in LA now, I'm from Boston. Um, and when I was in Boston, it sent a message to you know, this woman at, in LA and she runs uh, the office of this you know, real estate company here. And at first it was, hey, you know, similar to what sent you of, of trying to land a speaking opportunity. I was going back and forth between LA and Boston at the time. And we ended up meeting up for lunch and we hit it off. And now, I mean, she, I mean, she's like 40 years older than me, but we, every, I, I go in and work from their office whenever I want. I'm like friends with the entire building. I go into their holiday party. Like wow. I'm, I, it's, it's just so funny how like once in a while those relationships happen because they fall into certain campaigns and they end up so much better than what it was intended to be. Which kind of brings, goes back into some of the questions I'm going to ask you, but you know, you're doing some unique things to get your message out to the world that most people aren't going to do. And you even quoted that in your TEDx, you know, do things, be willing to do things most people aren't willing to do. And I put that in one of my last episodes. I read that it was um, one a speaker that I worked for in the past You would say that all the time. So then I hear you say it, do things that most people aren't willing to do. And that's what you do every day. And how how long have you been doing things that most people don't typically do? Yeah, I, my entire life. I'm now within business, but back when I was younger with football, 
you know, when I was in high school, my routine to get good enough to play at the level I played at was wake up at 5 a.m. every day, practice long snapping, which was the position I was, go to school, go to practice with the team, lift weights after school. And then when it came to recruiting, I cold emailed every college coach in the country, cold called every college coach in the country, showed up on more campuses than I can count trying to get in front of them. And that translated now into business of how I land deals and get clients and all of that. But that's really when it started of building out that system. And obviously now when I do outreach and that type of stuff, I'm a lot better at it and learned from when I was 16, 17 years old. But that was kind of the first step of how do I get in front of the right people at a large volume. Well, I'm I'm going to go with something that I just saw on Twitter the other day, and and uh, you had said something like, "Growing up, you weren't athletic or confident." Can we start with where things were for you growing up? Because that's not who you are now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, growing up, I was picked last for you know every sport in the book. I was not athletic at all, not confident, and you know struggled in a lot of different areas, and you know, that had to develop over time. You know, I started playing football in seventh grade. I was not very good, didn't play a ton. Sophomore year of high school, I was a third string junior varsity athlete and so sick and tired of the position I was in, not being confident, not being athletic, not playing. And I had a decision to make of, was I going to continue down this path or make a change for the better? And, you know, I found the position long snapping. I realized if I got good enough at this one unique niche position, not only could I play at a really high level, but I could work really hard to become a really good athlete. I could use football to build my confidence, to build who I became. Um, and so I really owe a lot of that to the game of football and to athletics of who I became today in life and in business. So can you explain to someone who's never really watched a football game uh, what is long snapping? And can you also explain the question that 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 I want to know, or, and that I'm sure people want to know, how do you play football when you can't see? <laughs> yeah. So long snapping is, I was the person on punts and field goals when we were going to either punt the ball back to the other team, or when we were going to kick a field goal that I would snap the ball between my legs, throw up between my legs, back to the punter, to the holder. And then I'd block the people in front of me. And for me, yeah, there were tons of positions I couldn't play, but long snapping is so much muscle memory that I had to get really, really good at it. Once I did it thousands, tens of thousands of times, I could release the ball with my fingertips and tell you if it was going to hit the punter on the right hip, the left hip, the stomach, the right pack, the left pack. I could tell you exactly where it would go because I could feel based on how it released off my fingertips. And that took a lot of practice, time, and effort, but I got so good at it was my thought process around it that just do so many reps that you can't fail. So this next question I thought about all morning because you called this um, TEDx that you did, um, finding diamonds with your disadvantages. And I thought about that, that we all have this unique talent or ability to do something incredible that we don't know until we've figured it out. And I almost feel like your, your diamond and your disadvantage was that, that was your, like your huge potential that changed your whole life, but you had to dig deep to find that diamond in you. When did you figure that out? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a hard question to answer because I think there's so many different times within my life and I don't think there's a one specific moment, but I am a strong believer. And like I said, in the beginning, I'm thankful and grateful I was born legally blind. And 
I think if I had full vision, I probably wouldn't have played at the level that I played at athletically. I wouldn't have played division one football. I wouldn't have been an NFL free agent. I just don't think that would have happened. It might've, you never know, but I think that caused me to want to work a lot harder and get really good at this one specific position. And I think because of that, my life took a shift for the better. And I think it allowed me to be more successful in business and speaking and everything I do today as well. I think if I had full vision, then who knows? I mean, I'm sure I'd be doing fine, but I don't think I would have seen as much success as I've had in athletics, business, life, everything, if I had 100% vision. So now this, I also thought about all morning. So you're talking a lot about vision and not being able to physically see through your eyes. But I think you have vision that is within you. Like, I want to know, do you picture stuff on the screen of your mind, like in your head? Do you have that sort of internal vision of what you're doing? Yeah, 100%. And just just to clarify, so I have no vision in my right eye. And I've limited my left. And so I can see you there on the, the screen right now, but I can't tell you what color your eyes are or if there's something written in the background, things like that. Or like if I look at my phone, you know, I'm holding it up to my face and, and stuff like that. So I do have some sight, um, but, but a hundred percent, you know, I think it's caused me to think differently about different situations. It's caused me to plan more strategically. It's caused me to take a step back and understand what I really need to do because of that limitation. And, you know, that takes a lot more of like understanding in your mind and, and realizing where you are and where you need to go. Got it. So, so, cause I talk a lot about vision on the podcast. So I just wondered if that skill of building a picture in your head of what you want to do is laser focused in your head how do you plan yeah you know for me i I, i'm definitely a big at planning to some degree i think a lot of people plan way too much in in things like business where they're like oh i need to get a business plan and get everything right and then they start and i'm a believer of sell and then build and so go out test the market try sell figure it out and if it works then you can come back and make a plan and figure out how to grow it um you know yes i plan for 12, I plan for the year, I plan for quarters, then I plan every month and every week and every day. And I break it up and things like that. But I don't sit down and say, hey, oh, I have this business idea. I need to plan for the next two months making a business plan. It's, oh, I have this idea. If I actually want to test it, which I don't jump between a million things anymore. It's something I learned early on in business. But if I wanted to, I would go out, try it. And then if it works, if it sees some success, then you come back and plan and figure it out and understand what the kinks and the bottlenecks are. Got it. So, so life is difficult for all of us, right? There's challenges that we all have to face and overcome and we all have them. What are some specific strategies that you've learned for overcoming adversity? Like, can you share what, what yours were and, and, Maybe you see other people around you. How do you compare how, you know, other people handle adversity? Yeah. The biggest thing is understanding that we all have these unique differences, these things that make us who we are. And the ones that you have aren't harder than mine. The ones that I have aren't harder than yours. They're just unique to us and they make us who we are. And when we can understand them, when we can realize why they're there, we can use them to our advantages. Too many people get stuck in the opinions of others where, you know, maybe in high school, people thought I was absurd for wanting to play football at the level I wanted to and being very vocal about that and for going and lifting every single day and waking up early every single day to practice football. But when I could tune that out and when you can learn to tune out what other people think and 
and feel about what you're trying to do, then you can be more successful. The biggest reason, in my opinion, that people don't see the success in any area of life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's fitness, whether it's business, whether it's anything, is because they're so afraid of what other people are going to say, what other people are going to think, that they don't even take the first step to get started. Yeah, I can definitely see that in business. When you first put yourself out into the world, it's not an easy thing. And I'm sure I'm sure you see that. But you were young when you started to put yourself out into the world. Um, young when age 17, right, where a lot of us are still developing our sense of self. We didn't where did your sense of self high self-esteem come from that you were able to step out where you weren't or were you afraid and you just did it anyway? So 17 years old, May of my senior year, I'd committed to Tulane to play football there probably in like, I don't know, maybe April, end of March, something like that. Um, I got a call from Good Morning America. They wanted me to come and you know fly me down the next day or the day after and, and be on the show. And at first, I had no interest in doing it. I talked to a coach of mine who really said to me, it's not about you. It's about how you can help other people and other kids who have different disabilities. And he encouraged me to go. And I did that and I was super scared. I was nervous. I was anxious the whole time. But I also understood that in that moment, it was either sink or swim. And so if you look up that video today, you know, I, from my perspective, I did terrible, but it's also, I do that as a career now. So it's different. Um, but looking at it as like a 17 year old, I did really well. And I was thrown into that position at such an early age that I think it just caused me to put myself out there more. And there's a lot of different scenarios later on where maybe I wasn't still as vocal about my vision or about you know, the challenges I had. And I had to learn that over time. You know, 18 year old Aaron was very different than 20 year old Aaron was very different than 22 year old Aaron. Same with what I am today at 26. It's tons of different stages of how I presented myself, what challenges I faced, what I was vocal about. And I think that's changed a lot over the last eight years, five years, three years as a whole. I, I even think back to when I first I, I was talking about recording an episode before you and I was talking about when I first wrote my first book and, and I held it up. I couldn't even tell you what my name was, let alone what the title of the book was. You know, once <laughs> the, the video went on, something happened in my head. I was like, who am I and what did I write? I have no idea. It was like this, the weirdest thing as soon as someone pressed record. So you talk about like, you know, going back then, even if I look back to my very first 50 episodes of this podcast, I can't watch them because I couldn't <laughs> ask questions and breathe. So it's like with everything we're going to do, we're going to notice that, you know, we're learning in the beginning, putting ourselves out there and practice. But you know, can you take us back to when you began playing football in high school and trying to find your place? What did you have to do to step, put yourself above others that, that was different? For me, the simplest answer is I realized if I wanted to be as good as everyone else, I had to work 10 times harder than everyone else. And that's, that's, that's really what the answer was. It was, I knew that no one else was waking up at five and practicing before school. So I was going to do it. I knew at the end of the day, at the end of practice, you know, at 5 p.m. or whenever, no one was going to lift weights. So that's what I had to do. I knew that no one was sticking to counting their calories and making sure they gained weight so I could, you know, get stronger, get bigger and play at a level. So that's what I was going to do. I knew that Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, 
my friends and everyone else was going to be sleeping in. I was going to get up and either go practice long snap and go lift weights or do both. And I knew that I had to do what no one else was willing to do because in life, whether it's athletics or business or anything, if you're willing to do the things that no one else is willing to do, you'll get the results that no one else is able to get. And that's just a, something that I learned and believed at a really early age. And, you know, look today, I'm a strong believer of like, it's not just working hard, it's about working smart. And, and there's certain ways that I do that in business. But back then it was, I was just going to outwork everyone my way. And that's, that's what I was going to do. I've, I've always believed that that's just, I don't know where that was ingrained in me as well, but, um, Friday nights, you know, if you can work instead of go out, you know, all those little days and the, all those little time periods. I think I learned that from Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, um, just do certain things to crush it that other people won't do. And that puts you ahead. You know? Yeah. And and even like, for example, a quote from, from, I don't know if you know who Alex Ramosi is, but from him is, is basically like, look, do so many things that's unreasonable for you to fail. If you make a hundred thousand cold calls, it is unreasonable for you not to close a client. Like if you if you go knock on fifty thousand doors, it's unreasonable for you not to have a sale. And so if you just do so much work that's it's genuinely unreasonable for you to fail, you'll eventually get there. Now it might take you forever, but at a certain point, it's unreasonable that you haven't gotten success at some point. Yeah, well, I got to skip through to that question that that um, is later on in my interview here. But um, I thought your strategy of cold calling every college coach in the country was brilliant. And it's probably because I've spent years in sales and no one likes cold calling. Um, but it, it's one of those difficult tasks that takes you, like you just said, to places where the diamonds are, where most people would give up. And so I want to know how specifically did you do this? Did you just get a list of D1 schools and then you looked up the coaches and you just started phoning them? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's funny because I do it much more systematized today with business, right. but back right. then, yes, it was, it was look up all these people, try and find their phone numbers, their emails, manually send out emails, manually call them. And it was miserable. It took forever. Um, today I can go send out a thousand emails in two seconds if I want. Um, Back then it was do it one by one, find the contact information, all of that stuff, email them, call them, follow up, track it in Excel. You know, I didn't know anything about automation. I didn't know anything about CRMs. I didn't know any of that. I mean, who knows if that stuff was, I mean, that was nine years ago. Who knows how much of advance that was back then? Anyways, I don't even remember, but it's, it was, it was so tedious. Well, I got to ask, cause uh, I, I love the automating emails and business side of things. I was hugely involved with Infusionsoft before they changed the name to Keep. I don't know if you know who they are, but but back in, when, when automation first came through, uh, Infusionsoft is not far from where I live. So I was always hanging out at the offices there. Um, what system do you use for e your email marketing? Just curious. So for myself, we have our own, own in-house software. Um, for the clients that we work with, we suggest them to use a couple of different ones. And then for our one-on-one -on -one clients that obviously are, are a lot higher ticket, we give them the internal one that we use. Got it. And and is is it all like, um, it's hard to explain the back end of the software. So it's all like automated and, and in campaigns and they all go out different ways. Is it all like that? Yeah. So, you know, for example, I probably have 50 different email addresses across tons of different domains that 
I'm using in there and it rotates them and maximizes deliverability. It has things like warming on there. We use Spintax so it you know can personalize different aspects. Good afternoon, good morning, good day, you know, hi, hey, hello. We have personalization to put in first name, last name, company name, whatever, whatever we want. Um, and then scheduling, obviously, and sending at a very high volume and, and sending a ton every single day. And so, you know, we there's tool, tons of tools on the market. There's most of them, honestly, in my opinion, are terrible. Um, there's a few that are really good, and those are the ones that we obviously suggest and kind of tell our clients to use. And then the ones who we work because we have two models for one of my business. One is a group. One is a one-on-one. And the group we kind of suggest different ones. The two that we suggest, and then the one-on-one clients, we have our internal one. And because of obviously the fee they're paying us, we, um, we cover the cost of that to have their accounts on our internal tool. Got it. Well, I find that fascinating, just uh, making use of your time in a better way. Um, but I also love how you called every coach, you know, manually, because that's just how most of us start. Um, yeah. And so if we could kind of go back to that, when did you stop looking for at challenges through the eyes of being a victim um, and that the world was out to get you kind of thing and start thinking that life happens for you, not to you and start taking control of where you wanted things to go? Yeah, I, I don't think I really realized that. So probably in college, I think it probably crossed my mind in high school of, OK, I'm getting good at football this challenge happened for me for a reason, but I never put the words to it. I don't think I could comprehend it at 16, 17, 18 years old. So probably more in college when I was actually at Tulane playing football and realized, hey, this is what got me here. I need to be thankful for this experience, for this opportunity. You know, I'm so grateful that that I've been able to see this type of success. Got it. And so you definitely just didn't rise to the top without having to face more adversity and challenge, right? Like you were ranked as one of the top players when you were in Massachusetts. And then what happened? Yeah. So I went to Tulane and I played for the first time my sophomore year of college against University of Central Florida. That day, I became the first legally blind D1 athlete to play in a game. And about two months later, a month and a half later, my coaching staff got fired. We had gone three and nine my freshman, sophomore year and time for them to move on. And so because of that, I was put in the state of fear of anxiety of, you know, scarcity because I contacted every college coach in the country. I assumed that I probably at one point contacted the coaching staff that was going to come in and they probably either told me no or didn't respond. And so I thought about at that moment of December, my sophomore year of either quitting football or transferring schools. And I was anxious and coach Willie Fritz and his team came in and today he's a great mentor friend of mine. But in the beginning, you know, I didn't even want to talk to him. I was so afraid that at second I talked to him, he was going to say, we can't do this, that I delayed doing that. I thought about transferring. I thought about quitting. And I would just all this anxiety built up. And oftentimes in life, you know, it's not that the task we have to do or the conversation we have to have is really that hard, but it's the time that we wait to do that task or to have that conversation that caused it to get harder, caused it to get worse, that built that anxiety. And that's what it was for me. And so eventually I sat down with the coach and we had a conversation. He knew about my story, my background. He'd never worked with someone like me, but he was open to it. And what happened is we basically just came to an agreement of let's give spring practice a shot. If we have to discuss this again, we will. And during that spring season, my thought process was I'm going to do so much for myself, for the team, for everyone and push myself, push my teammates on the field, in the weight room, in the classroom, that 
I'm, I'm not expendable, that, that I'm so valuable that nothing could ever happen. And not only did we never have that conversation again, but through the efforts that I did, not only to get really good myself, but to push everyone around me to get better, to be a really good leader. Two years later during my senior season, I was named a captain. And, you know, I was able to transform, you know, his heart, his mind. And, you know, he he never doubted me in the beginning, but he obviously was nervous, same, same I was, and just was able to show him that what I was able to do and who I was able to help. You know what I liked when I saw that, um, when you had to sit down with your coach and say, are you going to give me a shot? It was that like you, what you just said, that difficult conversations uh, become difficult when they're delayed. And so you just addressed it right off the bat with him. Right. And, and well, it was delayed. It was delayed. It was delayed at first. You know, I definitely waited, waited a bit at first because I was nervous about it, but I I eventually had to sit down with him and I wish I did it sooner. I wish I did it, you know, two days after he came to, you know, he signed his agreement. Now it was probably two weeks after, but I I wish it was a lot sooner because at that time it caused a lot of nervousness of anxiety. Um, But also back then I was, you know, what, 19, 20 years old, it, it very, it, you don't think this stuff through back then. Exactly. If something like that happened today, I would have the conversation in an hour tomorrow. Yeah, well, those difficult conversations, I've always heard just nip them in the bud, like get them out of the way, because you're either going to get the, the answer you like or the answer you don't like, but at least you know, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, was there a time when things shifted and you look back and things just became easier for you? Like, like you're, you're living it now, but do you, do you remember a moment when it just started to, to flow for you? In athletics in business in in what area or just in general? Um, just, just maybe in general, like the challenges that you face on a daily basis, when did it get to where you're like, okay, I can handle this in, in just life? I don't think there's necessarily, again, a specific moment. I think, for example, as I got more comfortable with accepting it over the years in college, it probably got easier. For football, I'd say, you know, once that transition happened and spring practice went by, I'd say that that was something that, you know, the next few years were easy for me. It was rolling, it was getting better, it was putting in the time and effort and seeing a lot of results from it. And even today in business here, there's a lot of stuff that I have seen significant growth in within businesses. But at the same time, we have a lot of struggles every single day. You know, my goal isn't to create a business that does okay. My my goal is to create very, very large companies. And so I have problems every day. There's some issues going on in business right now that we're trying to work through. And so it's not that I've solved every single issue, but it's about understanding that being an entrepreneur is understanding like there's going to be challenges that come up every day. How do you iterate? How do you adapt? How do you adjust? And how do you bring in other people to help solve those problems? And so like we're in the process of like hiring different people in different roles right now. And we will again later on this year for different roles as well. And it's about training those individuals. It's about fixing certain things in the process. And there's challenges all the time, but it's just adapting. So Aaron, if someone hears this and they want to contact you to work for their organization, what's the best way? Like, would it be you coming in and helping with organizations or businesses? What what do you offer over there? Yeah. So first off, if you want to reach out to me anytime, my main website is AaronGolb.com. My other company website, which I'll get into both, is InitiateConnections.com. But you can just email me, Aaron at AaronGolb.com. And so I do two things. The first one is I'm a speaker. I do workshops and consulting with companies. 
teams, events around the world. And that's really things like overcoming adversity, leadership development, diversity, inclusion. And it could be anything from a keynote speech to more of workshops or longer term consulting. You know, we have clients that they say, hey, Aaron, you know, we need help building out our DEI practice or leadership development training. Can you come in and help do that? And we do that all the time. The other company that we run is Initiate Connections. And what that is, is taking people who either want to become speakers or are speakers, but don't know how to grow and scale. And we help them grow and scale and build their business through setting up systems, setting up cold outreach, fixing their marketing, fixing their sales process, all of that and helping them grow and scale as a speaker. Well, if you were to close this all up and pack it in a neat package, what would you say that we should all look at when we're looking to find the diamond in, in ourselves to take us to all new heights? What, what would you say to close this out? I'd say that we, people need to get really good at failing and understanding that too many people out there want to be a perfectionist. And it's because we're brought up to believe that you get an F, you get a D in school and it's bad. And that's not the case. You know, if you get an F and you learn from it, you iterate, you get better. The next time you get a C, you learn from it, you iterate, you get better then you get a B and then so on and so forth. You get an A. That wasn't a failure in the beginning. That was success because you used it to learn. It's the same thing in life, the same thing in business. If you can take your failures and you can learn from them, you can improve, you can get better, then anything becomes possible. But people need to stop trying to be perfectionists and understand that failure is a good thing. They just need to learn from it and optimize because of it, and then they'll succeed. You've got a very motivating, inspiring message. I'm glad I came across your work. I want to thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on the podcast and sharing some tips for you know how you got to where you are, what you're doing now to help others. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episode. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 